Well, good morning. How's everybody doing on this beautiful, beautiful Sunday morning? Isn't it amazing outside? There's so much to be thankful for this morning. And uh, before we look at our text and see what God has in store for us, let's, let's start with a word of prayer. So let's pray together. Lord God, we've just sung a song saying, you are good, good. You're never going to let us down. And we give you thanks that you are a good God, that you are a God that cares for each and every one of us, no matter where we are in our life today. And so as we come this morning, we come to sing praises to you, but now we come to a time where we look into your word, and we pray that it will speak to our mind and to our heart. So help us, Lord, to be receptive to your word to us today, for we pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to be looking in the book of Philippians, the third chapter this morning, and we're going to look specifically at verses 10 through 14. Before we do that, though, I want to give you a little preview of what's happened prior to that in the third chapter so you have the context of what's going on. Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, and they have supported him all throughout his ministry, and so it's it's a bit of a sort of a thank you note, but it's also kind of like, here's some things you want to think about. And so he's writing to them, in the very beginning of the third chapter, he says, now watch out for those who oppose you. Watch out from those who are going to draw you away from following what God has for you. And then he gives a little personal preview as far as his background, where he's come from and who he is. And at the very end of that, after he's kind of listed this uh, array of accomplishments, he says, all that I've accomplished in the past, all that I've achieved is like of no value at all compared to the surpassing love of Jesus Christ in my relationship with him. So that's where we pick up in verse 10 through 14. So let me read it to you and you also check it out on the screens. I want you to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the, to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all of this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Brothers, and obviously sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Amen. Uh, Last week at this time, Kathy, my wife, and I were uh, back in South Dakota where we had served in a church for 12 years. Actually, we would say that we raised our kids there. They would say that that was home, although we've lived in other places. Uh, But we haven't been there for about 15 years. We left there about 15 years ago, and I was asked to come and do a wedding from one of the folks from our church, and so I was officiating this wedding. And it was one of those kinds of trips, and maybe you've had one like this, where it didn't go as you'd planned. You ever had a trip like that? I mean, that's how the whole trip went for us. Let me, let me give you a brief synopsis of this trip. We were leaving on Thursday morning. The rehearsal was on Friday, the wedding on Saturday. We were going to go with our daughter and her three little boys. 
in a, one car, Kathy and I. Now, let me give you an idea. Normally, it would take an adult about 11 hours to make that trip. I want you to imagine 11 hours with a two-and-a-half-year-old, a 14-month-old, and, and an eight-week-old. Yeah, like, oh. So we're ready to go, right? It's Thursday morning, and I was very sick. I got this sinus infection, started picking up on Monday. By Thursday, the day to leave, I had complete laryngitis. I couldn't say a word. And in addition to that, the youngest of our daughter's three little boys, was very, the eight-week-old, was very, very sick. So we're at the doctor's at 8.15 in the morning before we're supposed to go and drive to South Dakota, right? The doctor looked at both of us. He looked at me and says, I'm going to give you an antibiotic and you're good to go. But this little guy, he's not going anywhere. And so our daughter and her three little guys never got there at all. Kathy and I packed up, instead shifted uh, directions, shifted gears. We drove to South Dakota. It's about 11 hours. And we didn't even get started till 11 a.m. in the morning. We like to get going early in the morning normally, you know, kind of get, get miles under your belt, that kind of thing. We didn't even get started till 11 a.m. We got there. It was dark. The weather at that point, if you've ever been in South Dakota, the wind was howling because it always howls in South Dakota. It's always blowing like that. That was Thursday. Friday, I still can't speak, and I'm supposed to do a, a rehearsal. We drive into the hills. By now, the weather has really changed, uh, and now it's foggy and snowing. It was supposed to be an outdoor wedding. Fortunately, they had a sort of an indoor place to do the wedding. Again, we had to kind of shift that all around, and we get there. We check in at the hotel. It's a kind of a hotel venue with weddings and all that kind of stuff and the guy says right behind the desk we've got a great room for you mr miller you can see mount rushmore right out your window the only problem was it was so foggy and snowy you couldn't see a thing there was just a big cloud so fast forward um we get to saturday do the rehearsal get to saturday i rest all day saturday everybody else is out playing around but i'm resting trying to rest my voice and by God's good grace and a wonderful sound system, I was able to get through the wedding. And we were able to do the wedding. Yeah, it was really good. Um, so we're, the wedding's done. I kind of crash because I'm just exhausted. And uh, we're going to spend a few more days to visit friends until we looked at the weather report. Now, you may not remember what the weather was like a week ago, but let me give you a, sna a snapshot view. They were calling for a big snowstorm to come across the Rockies and then down into South Dakota, and it was going to be that way through Wednesday. So instead of spending a couple days with our friends and visiting with them, on Monday morning we packed up and we headed home. And we were driving along and got to Cheyenne, Wyoming. Everything was great, but as soon as we got to Cheyenne, it started snowing. And it snowed and snowed and snowed all the way uh, from Cheyenne uh, to the Denver area. And then we started heading up the mountain to um, Eisenhower Tunnel. And I mean, it is just coming down. It's coming down heavy. And the plows are out and it snows everywhere. And we, we get through the Eisenhower. Now, I've been driving for eight hours now. And did I mention I was sick? I, I felt lousy. And, and so in my younger days, I'd say, press on, we're going to make home, we're going to get home tonight. You know, with a little gray hair, you get a little bit, hopefully a little bit more wisdom. And we said, nah, we're stopping for the night. 
Got a hotel room in Silverthorne. No problem, right? So, next day, get up early, ready to go. We get a call from our daughter in Glenwood saying, oh, by the way, the canyon is completely closed for a rock slide. It's like, can anything else kind of go wrong here? So, we, we kind of chill and take our time because we're hoping maybe it'll open up. Maybe. Because we've already once before flown into Eagle and had to do the loop around the steamboat and Meeker and Craig in order to get to Glenwood because the canyon was closed. And we thought, don't want to do that five hours again. So we start out at 11 o'clock in the morning thinking, okay, maybe it'll open up. So we drive, make it through the Vail Pass, no problem. Get down, start heading toward Eagle, and we get to the turnoff at Walcott. You know where that turnoff is? It's a turnoff that goes north, the steamboat. It's the other option if you don't go through the canyon. And we're thinking, oh, please. And so we, we literally exit and sit on the off-ramp and call our daughter in Glenwood. Have you heard anything? Have you heard anything at all? Is the canyon open? No, haven't heard a thing. When we're on the phone with her, we get a text from CDOT saying, there's one lane open in the canyon. And we thought, yes! We don't have to do that five hours around. So we drive through the canyon. By the time we got here, both lanes were open in the canyon. Got back to Glenwood and thought, ah, we're back. We're home. And it's good to be home. And it's good to be able to call this home. I tell that story because that's a little bit of a brief parallel picture of what I think is happening in this text. We have these certain memories of the past, and yet we're looking toward the future of this being home. That is not just a parallel picture of this text. I believe it's a parallel picture of what's going on with the shift in the transition at the orchard today. There are memories of the past that we should cherish and celebrate, but on the other side, we're at a new day with all kinds of new opportunities. And so for the next few minutes, I want you to remember a few things that I think are important for us at this stage of our life at the orchard and, and hopefully at this stage in your own personal life. And the first thing that I want us to remember is this. We need to remember God's grace. If we look our, t- turn our attention back to the text in Philippians chapter 3, we see in the very first few verses, Paul gives this autobiographical sketch of himself to the reader. And he says, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. In other words, I was born a Jew. I wasn't a convert. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was a keeper of the law. I was faultless with regard to keeping the law. And so he's laying out this groundwork for exactly who he is and where he's been and what he's accomplished. And then he goes on to say, but everything that I've done so far is of little or no value compared to my relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So let me ask you this question. If you were to write your own autobiographical sketch, what would you say? What would it look like? Now, you might say, I'm a good person. 
You might say, I'm kind, I'm compassionate, I'm caring, I'm thoughtful of others, I'm generous. You might say, I'm one who builds others up rather than tears others down. I'm, emo- I'm uh, environmentally responsible. You might say, I'm a good neighbor. And all of those are wonderful, fine qualities that hopefully we should aspire to. But Paul, what Paul reminds us in this text is, All that we have accomplished in the past and all those great qualities are wonderful. But there's no comparison to any of that compared to the grace of God that he's given to us through his son, Jesus Christ. What I want you to see is he's he's doing a reversal from where he has been to where he is today. Uh, We have a, a friend that was in our church in Atlanta before we moved here. And um, she's a grandma, and uh, her grandson is an exceptional wrestler in high school. Until this year, he had won, like, uh, the state championship in wrestling in his weight class for, like, the two previous years. And so uh, when it was wrestling season, she put on Facebook the state championship where he was wrestling. And I got an opportunity to watch it. It was really cool. And he won again. And I got to be honest. I've been in a lot of sports over my life, but I never liked wrestling. There's something about having my face smashed against that mat. I just, I didn't like that. I didn't like that at all. But anyway, this guy showed the picture of, and if you, if you watch wrestling at all, and I don't really watch it much, but uh, they start like this on their feet, and you know, then they wrestle. And then after there's a period, one period, in the second period, one of them goes down on their all fours on their hands and their knees while the other one sort of uh, kneels beside the other, right? Well, her grandson was in that position of being down. And as soon as uh, the clock started, bang, just like that, it was like he escaped out of it and he reversed and completely reversed. That's what we see Paul is talking about in this text. It's like a complete reversal. And we see it in verses 7 and 8 of our text. Let me read it to you. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Whatever I accomplished in the past is like of no value at all compared to what Christ has done for me. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them rubbish, it's pretty harsh language, that I may gain Christ. Can you see the reversal? He goes on to say in in the next verse, in verse 9, he goes on to say how that we come to that faith and that, that reversal takes place because of our faith in Jesus Christ. Not because of what we've done or what we've accomplished. He shifts from sort of self-centeredness to Christ-centeredness. And he says very, very clearly, uh, this relationship with Jesus is not merely just a preferable alternative, but rather there's no comparison. It's far, this relationship with Jesus is just far superior to where he'd been before. You know, we are bombarded daily by advertisements in our society, whether it's um, through the airwaves, whether it's through things we hear or s- things we see or things we read on the internet. We're just, we're just 
bombarded by advertisements, and most of them, or many of them at least, kind of give this thought that it's all about you. It's all about me. Or it's all about my family. Or it's all about my desires or my dreams or my hopes. Or here's one, it's all about your kids. What I want you to see is Paul says, it's not all about me and it's not all about you and it's not all about our family. It's not all about our kids. It's all about the grace of God. Now granted, God gifts us with different talents and abilities and gifts and and every single one of us and every one that we lock eyes with matter to God. And we are to use those gifts and those talents to the best of our ability. But the bottom line is, all that we are, all that we have become, and all that we've accomplished, yes, we have to do our part, but it's really based on God's grace to us. Paul says in the 10th verse of our text, for I want you to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and yes, even in his sufferings. He wants us not to just know facts about him, but he wants us to experience the abundant life with him. You know, today is Memorial Day weekend. It's a time when we remember those who have given their life so that you and I might have freedom. It's a time to remember. And so I want to challenge us not just to remember those. Yes, we need to remember those and thank the Lord for their sacrifice on our behalf. But remember, first and foremost, God's grace. Second of all, I want you to remember this. And it seems a little contradictory, but I want you to remember to forget. You know, many of us have a memory problem. And I'm not talking about, like, my memory problem where I can see somebody's face, but I can't remember and think of their name. Or I can be in my house, and I'm heading to the garage, and I get to the garage, and I can't remember why I went to the garage. Or maybe you forgot to move the uh, laundry from the washer to the dryer. Or maybe you're like me, uh, you forget that, oh yeah, this is Tuesday night, I've got to collect trash to get the trash out by Wednesday morning. It's easy to forget that kind of thing, right? That's not the kind of memory problem I'm talking about. Many of us have this problem. We, rem- we remember what we should forget, and we forget what we should remember. We remember what we should forget, and we forget what we should remember. Paul gives wise instruction in this text in verse 13 and 14. And he starts by saying, now, I've talked about this relationship with God, and I've talked about what it means to follow him, but not that I've already accomplished all of that. Not that I'm perfect. Not that I have it all together. But then he says these words. But one thing I do, Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward. Friends, I think 
we need to be honest with ourselves that all of us have something in our past that we remember that we would be better off forgetting. For some of us, it may be a hurt or a pain. For some of us, it might be something that someone has done or said to us that was so cruel and so unfair. For some of us, it might be a, the memory of a relationship that we had this great dream for that just sort of fell apart at the seams. For some of us, it may be a sense of guilt because of something that we did or should have done that we didn't do. For some of us, it may have been a misstep or a mess up. And we have a memory problem and we just keep remembering it and remembering it and remembering it. Now, I think there's something to be learned from our past, always. There's something to be learned from our mistakes, always. But friends, we can't afford to dwell on it. Because it just sort of sucks life right out of you. And what Paul is saying is we need to forget what is behind us. And he's not saying delete everything in our memory as if there was nothing there. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, you need to leave it behind. You need to let it go. And you need to move on. What do you need to let go of? What do you need to forget that seems to be like a bad recurring dream? You know, we... we we can try and try and try, but I think it's the kind of thing that we just need to let it go, put it behind us, and then give it to God. And then if you're like me and you pick it up again, you give it back. And then you, if you pick it up, you, give it, you just keep giving it back and giving it back until it's gone. We need to remember to forget. And it's kind of interesting, if you look at this text, Paul is writing in a different context, and the context is he's writing about a runner in a foot race. Have any of you ever run a foot race? You know, I used to play a lot of sports in my younger days. I don't do much of that anymore. I just coach now. But one of the things I always hated about playing my sport was I had to run to get in shape to play my sport because I hated to run. I just never liked it. But those who run, they just, they just hone in on it. And you know, this is the thing I've learned about runners. When they're running, they don't check over their shoulder like this or that. They don't look over their shoulder. Because if they do, what happens? They get distracted. They lose their rhythm. They get out of momentum. They may veer off this way or that way. They don't do that. What do they do? They keep their eye on where they're going. They keep their eye on what's ahead. You know, for the past 18 or so years, Pastor Charlie was an integral part of the pastoral staff of the orchard. And under his leadership, the orchard made many, many fine, positive steps forward. And we're thankful for that. And last week, I'm told, since we weren't able to be here, that there was a great celebration for Charlie's ministry, and rightfully so.
But friends, we cannot afford to rest on our laurels of the past. We are on the edge of something that's going to be a great adventure for what is ahead for the orchard. And it's exciting. It may be a little scary, but it's exciting. Anticipating what God is going to do here and how he's going to touch people, not just here, but people who aren't even here yet. And now is the time to leave the past behind. Celebrate it, yes. But to leave it behind, to let it go. And as Paul says, to strain forward. You see, we need to forget. But lastly, we need to remember to aim high. A couple years ago, right after we moved here, um, <laughs> our daughter asked me, what do you want to do for Father's Day? I said, you know what I really want to do is I want to go with Graham, his dad. Graham's my son-in-law. He grew up here. Um, I like to go target shooting. I haven't done that in a long time. Now, when I was a kid, my dad and I would go target shooting. We'd take our little 22 rifles, and we'd set a little coffee cup can on a post, and we'd say, okay, see if you can hit the cup in the Maxwell House cup can. You know, and we'd say, can you hit the C? Can you hit, you know, the and uh, I said, I'd like to go target shooting. And so um, we went up four mile where my son-in-law grew up, and uh, his dad set up some targets about 20 or 30 yards off, and we started shooting. Now, here's something I learned over the years. If you shoot directly at the target, the bullet is going to drop a little bit, depending upon how far away it is, right? So... If you aim right at the center of the bullseye, and even if you're accurate enough to be aiming at the right place, it's going gonna, it's gonna to end a little low, right? So, I've learned over the years, you have to aim a little bit high if you have any chance at all of hitting the bullseye. Now, hitting the bullseye for me is a rare thing. It, it just, I'm just not that proficient at it. But we shot, and we shot, and we shot, and at first I couldn't even, I couldn't even hit the circle, you know, I saw it at practice, and then I sort of, sort of zoning it in, zoning it in. Then finally, I'll be darned, I hit the bullseye dead on. Now, I, I kept that little target to remind me to aim high. Not to aim too low, but to aim high. I was going to bring it today, but unfortunately, in our house, every so often, there's a purge, and things that aren't necessary just go, and it's gone, but I do have proof of it because I took a picture, and it's on my phone. Point being is this. We need to aim high. We need not to be satisfied to shoot low and be guaranteed that we hit the target. Paul gives us a little bit different image in this text because he's, he's talking about a runner who's running. And listen to what he says in Romans chapter 3, verse 22 through 24. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. We're not, in other words, we don't become righteous. We don't become right with God because of our great accomplishments. The righteousness comes from God through a faith in Jesus Christ. 
There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came through Jesus Christ. We are all sinners, every single one of us. We're all separated from God, and it is only because of God's amazing grace that we can be reconciled through the gift of Jesus and trust and faith in him. I want to encourage you for a moment. Where are you in your personal life? Where are you and where are you going? Listen to Paul's sage advice. Wherever you are, strain forward and press on. Don't live in the past. Strain forward and press on. Now that may mean that you need to just start someplace because you're stalled. Or that may mean uh, that you need a course correction or changing the pace of your life. Or that may mean for you, you need to set a goal, one that you can actually measure whether or not you accomplish it or not. You know, I used to work with my staff and they'd set goals like, I want to improve my youth program. What does that mean? There's no way to tell whether that you, you, we all need measurable goals. I've heard it said that if you shoot at nothing, you'll hit it every time. So refuse to set your sights low. Instead, aim high and strain forward and press on uh, on a personal level. But let's think about it from a, a, a community, a church community standpoint. We are on the edge of an exciting time. It's sort of a new day dawning. And personally, I believe that God has prepared and called uh, Daniel to be lead pastor of the orchard. But, but let me tell you, having 25 years of lead pastor uh, position, um, that is not an easy transition to make. But I believe he's up to, up to the challenge. But there's a few things that I think you and I can do to help him. One, give him some grace. Here's a reality check. He is not going to do everything like was done before. Because he's his own person. Give him some grace. Second of all, we need to be praying for, for Daniel and Amy and our elders. I know from personal experience, to lead a church as a lead pastor, you can't do it on your own. It doesn't work that way. And so I want to encourage you, remember Daniel, remember Amy, remember the elders in your prayers. And thirdly, I know that there's some of us here that would like to keep things exactly how they've been over the last X number of years. And there are others of us who want to see things dramatically change. So I want to encourage you, be patient. Wherever you are on that spectrum, be patient with Daniel. I know that he is seeking the Lord for the Lord's timing and the Lord's direction. Be patient. So let me narrow it all down to sum it all up. A few things I want you to remember today. Remember to aim high. Remember to forget. 
and remember God's grace. And remember, God has prepared you for where you are in your life today. And he's prepared the orchard for where we are in our life today. One of my lifetime favorite verses is in the Old Testament, Jeremiah 29, 11. It says, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Friends, God has a plan for you. And he also has a plan for the orchard. And here's the deal. It's a good plan with a bright future. So keep your eye on the target. Strain forward and press on and aim high. You know, as we come to communion now, which is open to all, and as you take the bread and as you take the juice, take a moment and be reminded of God's amazing grace for the sacrifice that he's made for us, for the brokenness of Jesus and the shed blood of Jesus. Take a moment And remember how God has been good to you. Take a moment and remember.